Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 50th episode, and I should be here reviewing the Chinese Grand Prix, but instead, I guess we have to get a bit creative. But what a wonderful ride it's been to get to 50 episodes. I am so excited to do this one with you guys listening. Thank you to everyone who has supported this podcast and uh, made it as fun as it has been for me so far. Um, Still a long road to go. I really want to build this podcast uh, and uh, see through the uh, potential that it has. Um, But to do that, first, a quick reminder, please go to the link tree in the description. It really helps out, guys. It includes links to podcast pages, like all the platforms you can find this uh, show, Um, my YouTube channel, which I'm still not posting to at the moment because of uh, my situation with the flood in my basement, unfortunately. Um, But you can also see the podcast Twitter and my TikTok page, which has also been affected because I don't have my filming set up. But the link tree also has my email address if you'd like to reach me about my podcast or uh, some other opportunities as well. Um, My personal Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn are also on the link tree. Um, But I will say that uh, I had an initial plan for this podcast, um, which changed slightly with uh, something that has been going on in the F1 podcast space that I want to address. So I had to make room for that. Um, but we still get to have a little bit of fun. So for the, for the 50th episode, I've decided to do some top five lists and uh, 10 of them would be a bit overkill. So I thought 50th, five is kind of the number here. So we'll do five top five lists and you'll see the categories in a second. Let's get into it. All right, so I've decided to do for my top five lists, starting with my personal favorite moments in F1 history. I'll go through those in a second, um, following by the best seasons in F1 history. I'll do quick kind of summaries of them all. Um, so for you uh, F1 fans who enjoy histories, I'll have some older ones in there that I highly suggest you uh, check out or at least, you know, um, look into if, if you're not aware of kind of what happened in those seasons. Um, Then I'll quickly rank my top five seasons of Drive to Survive. There's only been five of them. Um, So you'll see. Then my favorite races, um, just I I have a couple honorable mentions mentions in there as well because there's been so many good F1 races over the years. And then ending with finally just going through my top five all-time drivers who I think, not my favorite, who I think are the five best drivers of all time, and a few uh, honorable mentions is there as uh, as well. Um, so, going back to the personal favorite moments, and I had to put personal favorite because these are not going to align with other people's you know opinions for sure, and you'll see why. Because um, my favorite driver happens to be included in a few of them, um, starting with number five, when Lewis won his seventh title. Uh, in Turkey, that has to be one of my favorite moments. Um, not only was it just an amazing race with, uh, the track service in Turkey being like absolute ice, it was a real test for the drivers. I mean, you would definitely not want every F1 race to be like that, but for, for it to be, you know, on its own, a standalone kind of just wacky race, it was awesome. And, you know, not only was it just an absolute spectacle, it was just an absolute dominant performance from Lewis Hamilton and 
honestly what was one of his do- most dominant seasons, if not his most dominant season on its on its own. Um, if you look at Mercedes' team, um, you could argue between the three years of 2014, 15, and 16, and then 2020. Um, but Lewis on his own, I think 2020 has to be his most dominant season. Um, and, you know, it's obviously when my favorite driver made history, uh, and witnessing it was just, you know, incredible. Um, the tribute after the race, seeing uh, the old memories go across his visor was so cool. Um, the pause that he took in the car to just, you know, take the moment in, even though it was, you know, no fans there and during the whole COVID pandemic was unfortunate. The call from David Croft uh, on Sky Sports was was awesome. The fact that he's actually also from Stevenage, which is where Lewis grew up, is, is just so cool. And just the pure emotion of the whole race um, was awesome. And then, you know, also that ending with uh, Perez, Leclerc, and Vettel all uh, mixed together was, was also kind of cool. But, of course, this was about Lewis's seventh title. He won by like 20 or 25 seconds. It was it was an incredible performance. His title protagonist, Valtteri Bottas, he lapped him. I mean, it was it was just epic. Now to number four, uh, Dubist Weltmeister is is what I called it. I've referenced that moment a few times on this podcast. In fact, even playing the audio for you guys when I did my Sebastian Vettel tribute last year. Um, this was one of Formula One's best moments. Um, more so than even just a personal favorite. I was not watching F1 at this time. Um, but regardless, going back, just it is absolutely incredible, right? Red Bull joined the sport in what was it, 2005 or 2006? I can't quite remember. Um, I want to say it was 2006. Um, you know, they won, they won a championship only a few years later. That was their first ever driver's championship and constructor's championship. Um, but what makes this moment so special is not, well, of course, because, you know, the race was crazy. Um, it was a wild scenario where I think five drivers could have won the championship. It was both Red Bull drivers, Alonso and Hamilton. So four drivers, sorry. Um, going into the last race and having four drivers eligible, that is insanity and in fact Vettel was the third one back it looked like it was going to be a straight fight between Weber and Alonso and a lot of people say that Mark Weber should have won that championship um, and Alonso even kind of blew it too they both made bad pit stops in that race which allowed Vettel to drive off into the distance um, clear of the two Mercedes for Lewis Hamilton to win that he needed a, a long shot so he was barely in it but Vettel was kind of the underdog of the three-man race which is what it really was and he actually pulled it off Crying on the radio, the of course iconic radio message, do built, do best Weltmeister, sorry, um, which I just I think translates to you are world champion in German. Um, just it was so cool because he, what the I don't remember who the radio guy on the radio was. I used to know um, his name, but just an honestly, just if he had that planned, then like that's awesome. But if he came up with that on his own incredible because he tells Sebastian he wins and he's like your work's not done yet we have to wait we have to wait and then he's naming off the drivers that are crossing the line and he's like just you wait sunshine <laughs> I just remember he called him sunshine um it, it was just an incredible moment and if you haven't seen the 2010 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix um I definitely suggest you just go back you know instead of watching a movie on Netflix watch the 2010 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix it is phenomenal Number three, and I think 
Lewis Hamilton fans would probably have this higher, but I have is that Glock. Um, I think this could qualify for one of the coolest moments in F1 history, ex- except if you're uh, Brazilian, perhaps. Um, but it was my favorite driver's first title. Again, another moment where I, I wouldn't have been watching live, but you bet that I've gone back and watched this race for sure. Um, a Brit hadn't won since Damon Hill in 1996, um, but it was also just the culmination of everything that Lewis went through to get to F1. Um, he has an incredible story, which, you know, if I still have this podcast going, which I absolutely intend to in a few years, when Lewis Hamilton does hang it up, you best know I will have um, an incredible tribute for him as well. Um, but incredible story. Then what he goes through in 2007 with Fernando Alonso and Spygate and coming so, so close to winning his first title in his rookie season. It, that was a historic season on its own. Um, and then, of course, the way he won it is that Glock will always be probably the most famous radio call. If Maybe I'm a little biased because I'm a Lewis fan, but that is a famous radio call, 100%. Martin Brundle noticing that Lewis Hamilton passing Timo Glock on the last lap. Um, when, when Vettel passed Hamilton at the end, it put Hamilton in the sixth position. He needed top five to win the championship. And it looked like it was going to be another heartbreaking second place in the championship for Lewis. But he passed Glock on his slick tires. Uh, the rest of the top six were on intermediates. Did it on the last lap to claim the most dramatic P5 in history. Um, you know, the Ferrari team celebrating in the garage. Thinking that, you know, their their boy, their Brazilian man who was on pole position got fastest lap. I think he may have had a grand slam. I don't know if he led every lap. But either way, the hat trick at the very least to win the championship. He was championship. He was champion, sorry, for 30 seconds. And, you know, when Lewis crossed the line, it hits them that they did not win the championship because he passed Glock at the end. Just heartbreak, but also just, you know, pure elation from the Lewis side of the garage. Honestly, just just great stuff. And another race that. It, I don't know if it stacks up as one of the best races of all time because it just it, it's only really known for its final moments. Um, but still, um, watching the lead up to that is still maybe worth you know understanding what was kind of going on is definitely worthwhile. So it's another one I suggest. Now these are more recency bias ones. Honestly, I loved Ricardo winning in Monza in 2021. Um, you know, an underdog win is always awesome. There's a few on here that I thought about, you know, Perez, um, winning in Sakir in 2020, um, Gasly's win in Monza in 2020 was also spectacular. Um, I loved the Hungarian Grand Prix with Ocon winning, which you'll actually, uh, see in a, in a bit here. Um, and I realized that I do have a lot of, you know, in moments, I just kind of have results of races, um, instead of other things that have gone off track and stuff. So I maybe could have got a little more creative with that. But hey, we're here. Um, (laughs) And and Ricardo's win was awesome. It was McLaren's first since 2012. The scenes off the track afterwards was was incredible. Um, But the fact that, you know, he was struggling all season behind Lando Norris, and it got even worse for him now that we know we're in in the future, um, but still was not good at all came into that team with such high aspirations and, you know, they had high aspirations for him as well. And he was really not living up to the hype. Um, We get to Monza, McLaren strips all the downforce off that car and it was a rocket ship and Ricardo, you know, overtaking Max Verstappen at at the sprint 
um, was, was just so awesome. So yeah, I, I, I really just think that, or no, he overtook him at the beginning of the race. What am I talking about? He, Ricardo had a great sprint, but Valtteri won the sprint ahead of Max and then Valtteri had the penalty. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, you got, you guys get the point. He, the fact that he won on merit, um, in the season that he was having, you know, he hadn't won since I want to say 20, yeah, it would have been 2018. Would it have been Monaco? Would Monaco have been his last win since then? It may have been. I actually should have maybe wrote that down. But either way, years since he had won. Then um, he does it for McLaren. Um, at their rivals track, you know, that was, it was McLaren versus Ferrari in 2021 for P3. Of course, McLaren uh, ended up falling a bit short. But just honestly, just awesome. The call again, um, what he said after the radio, saying uh, on the radio, sorry, that he never left everything about it was just awesome and I have huge bias on this one just because I really started watching Formula One in 2021 so this is the first kind of real live moment that I had so that that's why this one's so far high and it also explains why my number one this one in F1 history does not stack up at all it is you know an incredible performance but Lewis Hamilton's win at Sao Paulo in 2021 and that's why this is a personal list. I have never been so hyped after a win in Formula One. I mean, it was just, I, I couldn't believe it. You know, after the dominant pole position, and then he gets disqualified, sent to the back. He had the 10-place 10 grace, 10 place grid penalty already um, for, for the new engine. And all the drama with, you know, touching the wing and whatnot, it was, it was crazy. And then in the sprint, just what a sprint race, too. I mean... It was it was just insanity, wasn't it? Just Lewis Hamilton passing someone every single lap in that absolute rock chip of a Mercedes. And then the race, he he's doing the same thing, passing everyone. It seemed like every lap, even though I know that wasn't the case in the Grand Prix. And then the battle with Max Verstappen and the celebration after and Total Wolf pointing to the camera. Like just as a Mercedes fan in the heat of that championship fight, um, it, it just really just felt like it was a moment when I was just watching greatness, you know? Um, and it still gives me chills to just talk about just because when you're watching a sporting event and you just feel like not, there, there's great moments, but when you watch someone just single-handedly have a performance where you felt like, wow, like only a couple people could ever pull off something like that. Um, it, it just is a, is a, is a special feeling. So, um, and, and if for it to be your favorite driver is, is something else. So that has to be my favorite uh, moment in F1 so far. So that's the first top five list guys done and dusted. Um, we will now talk about the best five seasons in F1 history. I think this one will be a bit shorter, although I know it sounds crazy to say, cause I'm summarizing entire seasons. Um, but with favorite moments, it's a lot of just like personal emotion kind of pouring out of me a little bit. So this one is more just summarizing and, you know, maybe giving some information for you, for the people who are newer fans and aren't really sure what happened in, in historic seasons. So starting with 1984, um, this is the, probably the one of the five that I knew the least about. And, and you'll see why when we get to the five, um, this championship with, 
uh, like ended, sorry, with the thinnest margin of victory in F1 history. 0.5 points, not even one point. This championship is decided by half a point. The season saw a titanic battle between McLaren drivers Nicky Lauda and Alain Prost, who honestly feel like they're in from two different generations. And, you mean, I mean, you're kind of correct. Um, Prost had just been sacked by Renault for criticizing the team for failing to develop during the previous season. He was only two points short of Nelson Piquet in 1983, which cost him a title. And remember how I just said in a recent episode that Prost was, you know, if, if, the the championships were scored the way they are now. Prost would be a seven-time world champion. This is one of those seasons. Prost was dominant in qualifying over Nicky Lauda, but the you know the veteran that Lauda was at the time, um, he he was smart with his racecraft and really focused on his race strategies because you know he realized he couldn't beat Prost on speed, which is a scary thing to say, right? Um, but Lauda was, he, he did everything right to his ability. You know, when uh, he won the races when Prost had trouble or had retirements and he always scored a P2 when, like, and I mean always, like Nicky Lauda was P1 or P2 every single race that he didn't retire besides the final race in P4, which is all he needed to win the championship, getting ahead of myself a little bit. Um, but think about, what I'd said with, with always being slower than, than his teammate also, you know, he never had a pole position the entire career or the entire season, entire career. That's not true. Um, the entire season in 1984, no pole positions and wins the championship and had multiple wins. That is some special stuff. Um, not to mention the whole storyline. It, it's not just any driver in that car. It's Nicky Lauda who, um, I don't want to get into it too much because he's actually in one of my other favorite seasons, but his huge crash, um, and then he retires in 1979, I think it was, came back in 1982, I believe, which was another wild season where the championship was K.K. Rosberg, and he only won two races, I, I think it was one or two, which is also insane, but not as exciting as what this season was. McLaren had what was the most dominant car in F1 history to that point that season, um, but it still goes to show an inter-team battle can be fantastic um, when you can when you uh, include factors like Lauda's comeback um, from retirement, um, you know, beating the younger Alain Prost, who did go on to have a more successful career statistically than Nicky Lauda, more wins, more championships. Um, that was a special season from the Austrian. Uh, may he rest in peace. Uh, so number four, 2008. Uh, I already went through Is That Glock? Um, and, you know, how Lewis Hamilton fell agonizingly short of a world title in his rookie season, 2007. But this year, he had no longer, uh, he no longer had, sorry, Fernando Alonso to contend with at McLaren. Um, it looked to be kind of a straight fight between uh, Hamilton and Raikkonen. You know, Raikkonen won in 2007. Alonso was gone. In came Heike Kovalainen, who wasn't as proven as, you know, the likes of Raikkonen and Hamilton. Um, however, Kimi's teammate Felipe Masso wasn't too far behind in 2007. Um, he showed that he was quick, but this season, um, of course it is so special because of how it ended, which I've kind of already got into, but it had like, you know, BMW Sauber in the title fight, like legitimately with uh, a win in Canada. Um, one of the most dominant victories ever, uh, by Hamilton at Silverstone after he scored two consecutive pointless races, 
um, to, to reassert himself in the championship and lap everyone up to fourth like he did in that uh, wet day uh, in, in, in the UK was insane. Uh, Seb's historic win at Monza with Toro Rosso, the fact that they won a race before Red Bull is crazy. Uh, there was a wild race at Spa that you know saw Lewis receive a 25-second post-race penalty. Um, he was battling with Kimi Raikkonen, and everyone thought Lewis had won. It's still, to me, one of the most unfair penalties of all time, and I think even non-Lewis fans would agree to that. Um, but then there was also the fixed race at Singapore, which completely screwed Massa. Um, you know, Massa also drove off with the fuel hose connected to his car, so Ferrari did kind of mess him up as well, for sure. Um, and of course, you know, the wild race in Brazil where Massa did everything right at his home race, um, and came so close to becoming a world champion, literally 30 seconds. And I guess I didn't really say that, you know, Raikkonen and Massa were, um, looks like they were going to be the title battle at one point, even without Lewis Hamilton. And in the second half, Hamilton really did turn it on and Raikkonen kind of fell off. So it became more of a Hamilton Massa battle. They even, uh, collided a couple of times and had their disagreements. It, it really was just a great season of F1. And of course, one of my favorites, although this one, I actually tried to keep personal bias out of it and just give you guys some incredible seasons. 2008 was awesome. So, um, if you ever want to just, you know, get a brief summary of that season and just read about it or watch a some races, I think even F1 TV has like how the title was won. Um, I don't know if it goes back that far, but still, 2008 is a really cool season to learn about, um, but not as cool as 1976. This is the oldest one, and if you know what season this is, then props to you. This is the the Rush movie. If, you, if you've seen the movie Rush, it is about the 1976 season. So if you've seen the movie, you already know where I'm going with this, um, and obviously watch the movie if you haven't, um, but Nicky Lauda in the Ferrari. He took control of the championship early on. Uh, he was, you know, the top two of each of the top six races, or the first six races, sorry. Um, but then at the Nürburgring, you know, nicknamed the Green Hell by Jackie Stewart, Lauda had his famous crash where he suffered in insanely severe burns. Uh, the fact that Lauda even returned to F1 at all was incredible, and he only missed two races. The doctors thought that Lauda would succumb to his injuries. And they told him that he would never race again. And two races later, he's back in the cockpit. Insane. Um, you can tell I'm a Nicky Lauda fan too by these choices. I'm just honestly, I, I'm I'm just kidding. Um, because like he he really is a legend of the sport and was a part of two of the best seasons ever. Um, but it is just kind of funny that I can go through any season and I have you know, of course, Nicky Lauda as a as a kind of protagonist in two of them um but anyway the the ending of the championship was what made it so spectacular as well as one of the most controversial endings the race in japan both hunt and nikki lauda were in the in with the chance to win and um it was raining very heavily and nikki lauda was actually speaking up about the fact that he didn't believe the race should go ahead um, and some drivers were critical of him because they were like, well, if the race doesn't go ahead, you'd win the championship. Of course you don't want to race. And one of those was James Hunt, of course. They have one of the most iconic rivalries too up to this point. Um, the race did decide to go ahead and Nicky Lauda actually decided to withdraw from the race very early on. He didn't feel like the, the track was safe enough. Hunt stayed out in the incredibly tough conditions, finished in P3, and he 
won the title that way. Um, just the culmination of all the drama that season, the incredible comeback from Nicky Lauda, even though he fell short and even, you know, just had the honor to, you know, stand up for what he believed in at that point and just get off the track. You know, some people criticized him for, you know, being scared because of what happened at the Nürburgring. But I honestly think that's so honorable to do something like that. Um, especially in the seventies when, you know, people were dying left and right at the Nürburgring, you know, uh, Jackie Stewart calling it the green hell. He actually explained this on Beyond the Grid recently. Think about how, you know, the Nürburgring is one of the biggest circuits in the world. It travels so far for one lap. Like, the one lap takes, like, freaking minutes. Not just one minute, like, a long time. Think about all the marshals you would need to, um, you know, be on that entire lap. I, I didn't think about that before until Stuart mentioned it, and I was like, wow. Like, you would need a ton of people. So no wonder it was so unsafe, not only, you know, um, to maintain because it's so big, but to, like, have the medical medical car is going to take minutes to get to you if something happens, right? Um, so that's why, you know, the Nürburgring, as it was, will never come back to F1. But, yeah, just, just watch this movie if you haven't seen it. I mean, it's a spectacular season and a spectacular film um, with great performances, so... Um, yeah, I know I'm hyping up the movie no more than I am the season now, but this, you know, if a, if a, if a season is going to have a movie over it, you know, it, it's an amazing season of formula one. Let's be honest. Number two, 2021 recency bias, but I mean, come on, the title fight of this season was just so amazing. And it's the one that I watched live. Um, one of my first seasons ever watching F1 and just the Verstappen and Hamilton drama and race after race. Those two just being in a league of their own. So many great races that year. Azerbaijan, Hungary, um, you know, Silverstone was epic in its own kind of way. Brazil was awesome. Abu Dhabi was an unfortunate finisher, but still so dramatic. Jeddah was bonkers with the, you know, the the shithousery that was going on with Verstappen and Hamilton. And I'm forgetting races of this season. That's how many good ones there was. Um, you know, there was Hamilton's uh, or Mercedes masterclass in Spain with the strategy. The uh, Red Bull kind of got them back in France. I mean, I remember this season like it was yesterday and it was so good and even started off really good with the Bahrain Grand Prix. So yeah, just 2021. Um, I don't need to talk about it as long because it's so recent and everyone, you know, listening to this podcast probably seen the 2021 season. So everyone understands why that one was one of the best. And then 2012, I think is kind of seen as the best season of Formula One ever by a lot of people, even though that sounds like recency bias. Just take this into account. I'm going to talk about some other things that happened in the season too, but you know, it had probably the best start of a season in, in sports history. I mean, seven races, seven different winners. That is insane, especially in a sport like Formula One where the competitive balance can be so off. Seven different winners in the first seven races, with the most spectacular of those being, by the way, in Spain, home favorite Fernando Alonso, out-qualified by Pastor Maldonado. Yes, Lord Maldonado, the torpedo himself, Claims his first full position, and then on Sunday is his only ever win. It was also Williams' first win since 2004 at that point, so eight years. And then Williams hasn't won since that day. Um, you know, he only finished eighth. That was his next best finish the entire season, eighth, the entire rest of the season. 
that is also just crazy. But for him to win in Spain ahead of Alonso was crazy because after that, this was Alonso's year. I mean, I think you know, he didn't end up with the championship. Alonso was just on another level in 2012. The Ferrari wasn't even that great of a car. He did become the first repeat winner. I'm not sure if it was race eight or not, but I guess, yeah, it would have been race eight. Logic. Um, but he, he looked to take control of the championship at one point, but then, especially, I should say, actually, after a, a late retirement in Italy, um, Sebastian Vettel, who was the champion in, in 2011 and 2010, was 40 points behind Fernando Alonso. Although, if you know your F1 history, you know that Sebastian Vettel won four titles in a row. Yeah, down 40 points. He comes back, wins four races in a row, closes the gap in Alonso, and actually claimed the lead heading into the final race in Brazil. Um, and the 2012, the 2012 Brazilian Grand Prix is also a historic Grand Prix, which I will get into as well because I have another category coming up. Um, but yeah, I uh, will just leave it at that. You know, Vettel crashed on the first lap in Brazil and still had enough to claim the title. 2012 featured other, you know, incredible races and storylines. You know, there was Hamilton's season being ruined by McLaren's reliability. McLaren actually was pretty solid that year and I think could have challenged, um, but the reliability cost them. It was Michael Schumacher's final season in Formula One. And of course, all the drama from Romain Grosjean going bowling at the Belgian Grand Prix. If you haven't seen the start of that race, I uh, recommend checking that out now. So this is the first one for an honorable mention that I want to just throw in there. And I, I really want to say 2019. Um, I know this is also crazy recency bias, and it's definitely not even close to one of the best seasons of all time. I just want to point out that like, despite there not really being a championship battle, there were some awesome races in 2019. 2019 Silverstone, amazing. 2019 Hockenheim was one of the best races ever. Brazil 2019 was awesome. Italy 2019, I, you know, the the classic Charles Leclerc, he wins it, Spa, he wins it, Monza. It was just, it was scenes, right? And 2019 Spa was also after the fatal crash of Antoine Hubert. Um, so, yeah, just... Leclerc winning there was also just a great moment, um, which kind of ties in perfectly to drive to survive the top five season. This one will be short, guys, I promise. Um, I've gone with season five as number five. I really think the most recent season of drive to survive was the worst. The 2020, the 20, oh my God, I am struggling with the years right now, guys. So many years in this podcast that I've had to say, and I'm just like 2020, 2020, <laughs> 2022. Um, was just, it didn't really lend itself to Drive to Survive very well. Um, and I think the season just kind of lacked, um, it just it just lacked excitement because of that. And there wasn't really a whole lot of great storylines to go on. So I, I didn't love the most recent season, although I'm always going to watch Drive to Survive regardless. It just, it's what got me into the sport. And it's still interesting to see some of the behind the scenes stuff. And it's produced extremely well even for the fact that i've become a little bit more of a pure f1 fan where i don't love the fake drama as much as is it you know seemed awesome at first so that part of it is a bit disappointing sometimes but it's still an awesome anyway i'm hyping up drive to survive season five was kind of lame and i've gone for season three as number four i just think the covid year um 
it just wasn't that great as well. You know, some COVID storylines to start out were kind of interesting. They had some Black Lives Matter stuff. And then there was like episodes focused on like Racing Point copying Mercedes. And it just, I don't know, it wasn't that incredible to me. And they didn't even really go that much into Lewis Hamilton's seventh title, which I thought was disappointing. Um, yeah, it just, season three was, was decent. Um, but I preferred season four, which is my number three, just because this season did lend itself to, um, an amazing, uh, season of drive to survive, but it didn't really hold up. And that's why it's only number three, just cause you know, even though there was a lot of Lewis versus Max stuff, Max wasn't even in it. Um, so it kind of fell short of expectations in that sense. And there was some really bad fake stuff in season four, I would say as well. And, you know, Andrew and I talked about it in our very first episode of Break Bias, which I thought was kind of an interesting full circle moment. Um, so in number two and number one, I've gone in order season two and season one. Um, season two, I honestly, it's kind of hard. I just went with season one because I feel like the, the first ever season of Drive to Survive in the midst of the pandemic, um, really was the one that nailed it home and it will always be probably the most remembered season just because it had the aura of like learning everyone for the first time for the new F1 fan. The first two seasons I feel like are just iconic. Um, and they had to be number one and number two, whether you say season two is better than season one, I'm not going to argue. I think they could honestly be a one, a one B, but that that's that. So my favorite races. Um, so keep in mind, these are only ones that I've watched, you know, they're my favorite. So you don't, don't be like, dude, have you ever seen the 1972 South African Grand Prix? It was so sick, man. Like I I've not seen the 72 South African Grand Prix. I'm sorry. Um, but so these, these are going to be a little more recent as well. Cause I've seen more recent races than I have old races, but I got some old ones in there too. Um, and I'm starting out with secure 2020, which I have mentioned already. Um, I thought just because even though my favorite driver wasn't even in the race, I thought that was awesome because he already won the championship. They put George Russell in the car. What a cool storyline. He should have won the race. He was fantastic and just everything went wrong for him. And so, so did everything for Sergio Perez at the start gets spun sent, sent to sent to the back racing point was so quick at that track and he comes back storms to a win um, with of course a bit of um, fortune uh, Lance Stroll I think was not on it that day because he could have won in that car and he lost to his teammate who spun out at the start not a great look some safety cars of course helped out as well but still a fantastic race from Sergio Perez and it just had so much drama so Secure 2020 is such a cool race that is a must watch for anyone who hasn't seen it number four my favorite season so my favorite race in 2021 is Hungary I know I just said 2012 is the best season but that wasn't favorite that was best my favorite season is of course 2021 because it was my first full season watching F1 and it was just an awesome season. I mean, I said it was the second best. So, um, Hungary 2021 was just insane. I mean, the Esteban Ocon win, um, Lewis Hamilton starting on the inters by himself on the grid. Like, that was just insanity. The the defending from Fernando Alonso on Lewis, 
the I mean drama at the start let's be real I know a lot of people didn't love that but it that race just had so much and Vettel and, and Ocon battling it and then Vettel getting the disqualification after the race I mean wild stuff so Hungry 2021 holds up another must watch for anyone who hasn't seen it now two in a row that are old I've gone for Bahrain 2014 and this is just it's I think this one is you know considered one of the best on track battles of all time as a whole you know the race may not have been spectacular but it's one of my favorites because you will never see two mercedes racing against each other like they were you know nico rosberg and lewis hamilton in that race and i'm not kidding such clean racing such smart racing they were both so quick it was phenomenal stuff just watch 2014 highlights i think f1 has posted them like 14 times it it really is um spectacular racing i think i've said spectacular 17 times this episode because i keep talking about things that are spectacular um (laughs) but seriously bahrain 2014 is just awesome um and this is one where you know you maybe you don't even have to go back and watch the race in full just watch highlights of this racing and then the coolest part is because this was still so early in the mercedes dominance they were both so happy for each other after the race, especially Lewis, because he did end up winning. And I think Nico faked the happiness a little bit because he would have wanted to win. But still, like they got out of the car and they hugged each other after their battle was so fierce. It was just a really cool scene. Now, Brazil 2012, that is one I've already talked to about a little bit. Um, you know, the Sebastian Vettel crashing off the start was you know, a setup for basically this entire crazy race. Um, He gets damage to his car as well there. And he basically battles back the entire race up the field to sixth place, overtakes Michael Schumacher in the final laps. I mean, his his hometown, or not his hometown hero, but his uh, childhood hero, um, Jensen Button, holds off Fernando Alonso for the race win. I mean, it, this race really just did have so much. Um, it also had Lewis Hamilton's last race in McLaren, Nico Hulkenberg on pole. Nico had his podium that he, you know, still hasn't got lined up, but crashed with Lewis from the lead of the race. They were one and two. Um, the race had changing conditions, so much jeopardy. It's wild to think that it actually ended under a safety car. Imagine that, huh? I mean, the greatest season ever, as I said. In one of the best races ever, and it ends behind a safety car. And in history, we don't even remember that. How about that? Hmm. Makes you think. And, of course, number one, um, my favorite race is Turkey 2020. For the reason, of course, of Lewis Hamilton dominating on his way to his seventh title. But I've kind of already got into it as much as I could, you know, just... This they were the drivers were racing on ice, and at any point a driver was going off, and and Lewis Hamilton could have gone off so many points, and I think actually did at the beginning of the race and recovered, like it was it was insane. I think um, Valtteri Bottas spun I think fourteen times in that race, um, so just just insanity, um, and of course what it led to was uh, something awesome. And, and Lance Stroll was on pole. Lance Stroll was on pole and actually had a great race until his last stint where I think he just destroyed his inters. 
Um, so not, not a great strategy from Racing Point either on for Stroll. I, I will say that. A couple honorable mentions. Germany 2019, USA 2018, Brazil 2008, and Abu Dhabi 2010. I've already talked about three of those. Go and watch those races. Um, all right. And my final top five. We're already 40 minutes in. I've gone for number five, Alain Prost, the most underrated driver in history. Number four, Fernando Alonso. I think he could be the greatest of all time if he just had better cars for, for most of his career. Number three, Ayrton Senna, who I almost think is overrated, kind of what I said on last episode as well, but seeing how many pole positions he secured, I think he might be the quickest driver ever. Um, number two, I have Lewis Hamilton. I just, even if you don't think he's as talented as Senna and Alonso and, and whatnot, just what he's been able to do, regardless of the cars he's had, the longevity, and seven title. I mean, you can't argue it. It's just, it's hard. You know, you, it's hard to put Lewis outside of a top five with what he's achieved in Formula One. But I still have number one is Michael Schumacher. I think he is still the one driver who really, besides maybe Ayrton Senna as well, that really just transcended the sport. And Lewis did too, but in his own way. Michael was, you know, I the greatest. I, I don't really know what else to say. My honorable mentions, though, for greatest drivers ever. I know people might be saying, where's Sebastian Vettel? Um, I do think, you know, he was just in a dominant car for those four years and achieved all of his stats in those four years. Don't get me wrong. He was great. Mark Webber was a great driver, and Vettel beat him. It, it was great stuff from Vettel. I just think these five edge him. I have Fangio just because he's the OG. I, I can't really make an argument for him because I'm so far from from knowing what he was up against and I don't know history that well. So he definitely deserves a shout out though. Five championships and you know one of the greatest to do it at um, as a pioneer of the sport. Nicky Lauda, I've talked about many times um, in this episode as well, but also in last episode, I just think he is one of the most smartest racing minds ever and from doing it behind the cockpit is is just awesome. And then I have Max Verstappen, who I think will be in this top five one day. It's just early. Let's give him time. Okay. Now for my next segment, um, for those who know the Pit Stop podcast, I will address kind of this whole drama that's been surrounding them recently. If you don't know who they are, then allow me to explain what's been going on. So... As I said, some of you may have no idea who I'm talking about. Pit Stop Podcast, Pit Stop Boys, who are these guys? Um, and that's fair. You know, uh, if you don't know who they are, that's, that's you know, totally cool. And uh, thank you for supporting my podcast. And uh, you're clearly a loyal fan. If, you, if, you're, if you're an F1 podcast person, you probably know them. Um, if you're not, then you probably just support me. So thank you for that. Um, but, you know, before I get into what's happened um, with them... I will give some background as to, you know, who these guys are so you understand, you know, the situation going in to what's happened recently. So uh, the Pit pit Stop, I guess is all all it's called, is a podcast with two guys actually around my age, maybe a little older, I don't know, but their names are Jake and Fabio, uh, aka Fab, uh, and they are pretty talented content creators i mean you know they're new f1 fans like myself and that's kind of their whole brand 
Um, you know, they start out by saying they want to learn about the sport alongside their audience, which I think is very clever um, and also just fun for a lot of new F1 fans. These are funny guys, too. They're very entertaining. And I completely understand why they've blown up. You know, two funny British guys. They produce their stuff with a very high quality and aiming at capturing, you know, a huge, like, brand new audience of young F1 fans. Especially with, you know, the whole Drive to Survive wave that came in. They really nailed that on and, and got a great target audience. And they have achieved a lot. I figured I'd say this first, though. I'm not necessarily a huge fan of their podcast. I prefer maybe a bit more insightful F1 content, like the race, like those guys do real journalistic work, and, and it's impressive, I guess, is what I could say. Um, these guys are a little bit more loose and entertaining, which I completely get. Um, you know, I'm here putting everything into the sport because I want to learn. I didn't feel like I was really getting that from them. Um, but I would watch the occasional TikTok clip because, as I said, they can be funny and they produce their stuff really well. And they have also had so many amazing people come on their show. You know, F1 drivers, Joe Guan Yu, Oscar Piastri, Valtteri Bottas, former champion in Jensen Button, people behind the scenes in pit crews uh, and engineers. Um, they've had David Croft, David Croft, Sky Sports commentator, uh, Will Buxton, and, and so, so many others. Uh, you get my point. They've been invited to races and events with teams and got to see the factories and just so many incredible opportunities. Like these guys have really made it big. And I'm not saying it's all crashing down, um, but what they've done recently has caused a stir on TikTok to say the least and Twitter. Um, and it's definitely not a great look for them. So let's talk about it. What did they do? So Jake and Fab... They went on the Screaming Meals podcast, which is a show started by IndyCar driver Marcus Armstrong alongside F2 driver Clément Novelak and James Blair. Uh, to be honest, I'm not really sure who he is. It says that he's an insurance guy. I don't know if that's a joke or not, but he's on the podcast too. I'm not familiar with him, to be honest. Um, but anyway, on this podcast, there were plenty of clips and moments taken out of context that were quite damning for the Pit Stop Boys. Um, let's start with the big one. Um, I'd clip the audio and play it for everyone, but unfortunately that would not be legal. Uh, so basically Fab, one of the guys said that from a fan's perspective to a group of racing drivers, nobody actually cares about racing and they care more about, you know, the drama and the personalities of the drivers. That is quite a statement. And, and it was the way he said it, you know, it was like, you know what guys, like nobody gives an F, nobody cares where you finish in the championship. And their faces were like, okay. But then, you know, Clement, who has not been a great, um, he doesn't have a great track record in F2. He actually laughed and he was like, oh, good. Because, you know, he's not doing well in the championship. So a very funny response. They all laughed. And uh, Armstrong even admitted that, you know, he's met plenty of fans who actually don't watch the races. And, you know, I think there's a point to that. But... At the first, first of all, you know, from a fan's perspective, saying nobody cares, don't speak for the fans. Plenty of people care about racing, um, and you know, I, the most pe people I've talked about with this, um, and of course, an entire community that is a bit outraged by what they've said is it's just disrespectful. First of all, you're speaking that to people who've dedicated their lives to the sport, and it's just not true. It's not representative of what a lot of F1 fans love and we do love the racing. So that was a bit shocking for people who have an F1 podcast. 
Um, so yeah, shortly after, Fab also told Marcus Armstrong that they should ditch the pod, you know, because people care more about what's going on outside of F1. Ditch the pod, instead film themselves going on a night out and even saying that they want to see Marcus chat up a woman. Bit insensitive and just not great conduct on a podcast, I guess. Just, you know, no one cares about whether you're quick in the car. Just go try and hook up with a girl. I mean, like, really? Um, and then also... Jake basically said that they do love the sport, but only really, you know, got into it because they saw a business opportunity and they wanted to travel the world. They'd be doing soccer if uh, they they didn't like, you know, realize the opportunity they had to capture the F1 audience that they're not hardcore F1 fans. Um, so all that on the surface, it might sound OK, but it's just kind of disingenuous considering, you know, their brand is to learn about the sport when they've proven they really haven't. And they were just like, oh, yeah, we took advantage of all these people who just wanted to learn about the sport with us. Um, yeah, I can see how that rubs people the wrong way as well. And then another one that uh, was really not a good look, um, and they've actually since apologized to him, was Juan Manuel Correa, another person some of you may not know. Um, he joined the couch. He was a special guest on the Screaming Meals podcast as well. He is an F2 driver, and he was a huge part of the crash with Antoine Hubert in Spa 2019. Of course, Antoine Hubert tragically passed away. It's the last person to die in a Formula car. Um, not only were they like, we have no idea who you are in kind of a disrespectful way. Um, like, yeah, he's not an F1, but it was also just, yeah, like we've never heard of you. And we, we thought you were a random guy standing in the back. Like it was, it was kind of strange. Um, and this guy's had an incredible story. Like, you know, it, it not caught a lot of people by surprise that they've never heard of him, I think. But it's just like to say all these things, like imagine telling Juan Mel Mont Manuel Correa of all people that nobody cares about racing. Like this guy was a part of a crash that, you know, a young man lost his life. And Correa has been rehabbing for years to try to get back into the sport that he loves. Like, as I said, dedicating his life to the sport. But yeah, man, nobody cares about racing. They just want to see you party. Like, come on, man. Like, just use your head <laughs> a little bit. Like, just not a good thing to say on the record at all. And there were just other times throughout the podcast where they just said weird things about not knowing anything about F1 when, you know, all those people they've talked to, all those events they've attended and you haven't learned anything. Like, so many things. And it wasn't just one thing taken out of context. All those things put together kind of sends a message to the fans, right? Um, so, yeah, just, yeah, they're out of context. Um, but even listening to the responses and reaction of the host, sometimes it did seem like they were just um, screwing around, having a laugh and drinking wine. But other times it was like, okay, not don't love that comment. Um, their faces did tell a tale sometimes. Um, but another argument that I'll just go over too, just to maybe put it into your guys' brains is a lot of uh, women in motorsport have spoke out about this, um, saying, you know, it's a double standard that, you know, two white boys are able to say that they don't really care about the sport and they care about the driver's personalities. When if a woman said that, especially with the gatekeeping issue that is in F1, where people just love to, oh, you don't know about the sport, then like get out, basically, you know, that that's what gatekeeping means. But um for women, it's even harder. Um, you know, if they don't know everything about F1, if they don't know who won the championship in 2013, they're not a real F1 fan and they're only in it because Lando Norris is cute. You know what I mean? Like, people only say that to women um, for, I mean, for an obvious reason, but um, because 
of sexual desires. But anyway, uh, <laughs> um, it's it's not really true. There's plenty of women who love F1, and you don't have to be a hardcore fan to love F1. Um, but we allow it with these two white guys. We wouldn't allow it with women, and a lot of women have spoke up about that, and I think it's completely valid. Um, but as a woman, I don't feel completely, you know, like I should be speaking for them. There's plenty of um, incredible women in motorsport that can speak for themselves in this topic. I just thought that I'd maybe just plant that thought into your guys' head. Um, but now I will, you know, uh, read pit stops statement that they made actually today. So I'm really glad I'm recording this on Monday. Um, so here it is. I'll, I'll just get right into it. We've taken some necessary time out to reflect following the release of the latest Screaming Meals episode. We messed up and what we said was not acceptable. Watching the content back, we're embarrassed by our attitudes and for that, we are sorry. We feel privileged to be a small part of the fans who embrace this amazing sport and we love this incredible racing community we've found ourselves in. We should have been more respectful to the hosts and in particular Juan Manuel Correa who we have since spoken to and apologized. We remain grateful for his and other support of us and our podcast. We promise we'll do better moving forward. Um, quickly, just thoughts on that statement. I feel like um, it's, I'm glad they, you know, they called themselves embarrassed by their own actions and called it not acceptable, which I think is nailing uh, it on the head. But I feel like the damage has been done for them a little bit. I feel like new F1 fans are going to move on to probably other podcasts. Um, for people who are, love their stuff, regardless of what they do, you know, there's there's fans of that for everyone. And they're, of course, going to stay by their side. Um, but I think the people that were on the fence and probably listened to other podcasts as it is might move on just knowing that they they said they don't care about the sport. And regardless of this apology, that's not going to change that they basically said that, you know, F1's not even their favorite sport. They don't care about racing. It's, yeah, they said they love the sport, but everything else that they said, you know, doesn't really align with that. So I'll just say this. Screaming Meals has to be laughing all the way to the bank with the free publicity they got from Pit Stop's just absolute nightmare of PR on their podcast. Um, so... That, that's it, guys. I, I didn't want to, you know, end my 50th episode on something so negative. Um, but I had to. I had to address it. It's the in the F1 podcast space. And I really just wanted to get my thoughts in there for you guys, especially if you are aware of the Pit Stop podcast. Um, so, yeah, before I wrap it up here, just please check my link tree. And uh, I'm going to be trying to get TikTok and YouTube back going as soon as I can. But that will do it for episode 50 of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. And I will be back with episode 51 next Monday to preview the first race of what could feel like a brand new F1 season by the time we get going again after the spring break. Azerbaijan is almost here. Goodbye.